Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Zandi, the chief economist of Moody's Analytics, and this is a uh, another special podcast. Uh, this is uh, we're, we're recording this uh, on uh, December fifteenth, the Wednesday, uh, but this will air a week from now. I believe a week from now, or maybe uh, I'm not sure when, but next next week, Christmas week. So we're not going to do the <clears throat> statistics like we typically do. Uh, just because they'll be a little bit out of date by the time this airs. But uh, we are going to just dive right into uh, our big topic, and it's it's the, the, the dollar, the U.S. dollar, and, and I should say currency more broadly. And uh, we have a guest. I'm going to introduce the guest in just a minute to help us uh, kind of navigate through all of this. But before I do, let me uh, introduce my co-hosts, uh, Chris Dorides. Chris is uh, the Deputy Chief Economist and Ryan Sweet. Ryan is the Director of Real Time Economics. Uh, although you had a you had a tough morning, didn't you, Ryan? On what, uh, no, I said I wasn't going to talk about statistics, but we got retail sales today. It was a little bit on the soft side, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, right? It came in below what I thought it was, but I was on I was on the I was lower than the consensus. So. Yes, you were. You, yes, mm -hmm. you were indeed. Why was it low? The Did seasonal you... factors were pretty aggressive. So uh, if you look at NSA, you know, non seasonally adjusted, the number wasn't that bad. So, and if you look at all the components, there's some weird volatility going on non-store was flat in november that seems a little odd so yeah i'm not well, too concerned i, I think oh. you got to put it into context right i mean october was boom right well, yeah it was very strong revised yeah. up. and i think september was as i recall that was strong too wasn't it that was over one percent so year over year growth in retail sales is i don't know what 18 19 percent something mm -hmm. like that yep i mean and of course there's inflation in there but even abstracting from the uh, inflation yeah even if you adjust for inflation yeah. it's still really strong very fourth strong. quarter consumer spending will be strong it will be strong and christmas mm -hmm. sales i you know i wrote something for the new york times and i said in that that this could be the best christmas in terms of sales growth in history do you think that was hyperbole or do you think we got a shot at that yeah we got a shot at it got a shot at it yeah mm -hmm. very good hey um and I would do want to introduce our, our guest, Joe Kennedy. Joe, good to see you. Joe is uh, you're you're back, Joe. Thank you for I'm coming back. back. I I I, uh, I think I'm the first one you've had back. Indeed, yeah. I, Indeed. I, yeah. I was at first I was really pleased. I go to my ego, and and then I thought it might be a sign that you're having trouble getting people. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Ouch! That. Uh... That hurts. Yeah, every silver lining has a dark cloud somewhere. So <laughs> I wasn't sure, you know, which way to go. Well, you diagnosed but, uh, that wrong, Joe. We had you back. Yeah. You were great. Well, thank you. We were talking about uh, markets, competition, antitrust. Pretty yeah. complex issue. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. We ran out of time. Right. <laughs> uh, we run out of time. Yeah. And uh, so just to remind everyone, Joe. Uh, uh, and I got to know each other when Joe was the chief economist of the Commerce Department back in the day under uh, President Bush. So Bush, yes. uh, got to know each other then. And since then, you've been very busy. You, you wrote a book, uh, Ending Poverty. Uh, and uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that book? I don't think we dove into that in the first podcast. Yeah, sure. sure. I, <laughs> you got a copy? Okay, I do. I've got like 100 so yeah you know i've had these ideas for a long time about how to restructure government and so this book half of it spells out a a, a system for a guaranteed income 
provided the recipient does certain things like work, not commit crimes, get educated. Um, and, and then the rest, when I looked at the economy, it seemed like most sectors were doing okay, but there are a couple of big sectors that are just sort of stuck. And I, so I devoted a chapter to each to, to talk about, you know, sort of systematic reform that would over time bring down prices and uh, increase quality. And, and the main sectors were uh, healthcare, education, um, I think I had housing in there mm-hmm. um, because I, I, you know, I think if, if wh- why can't the cost of housing go down over time and quality go up? I mean, you know, there's a limited amount of land, but you can go up and uh, we have so many ridiculous barriers to, you know, that add extra cost to building a house that if we got rid of a lot of them, we could see deflation for a, a, at least a while. We could see prices fall. Um, and the same with education, same, I, I believe, with uh, health care. And if, if you did all that, everybody's standard of living would go up quite a bit. Very cool. I, you know, did, did you notice um, that corporate profits, this is Q3 data, 2021 Q3 data, corporate profits as a share of national income is at a record high? When I say record, we have data back to just after World War II, 14.6%. Does that, is that surprising to you? Yeah. That was surprising to Especially, me when I saw it. Yeah. You know, you read all, uh, you know, every, you know, all these articles about wages finally going yeah, up. And I exactly. would have guessed, you know, that. Right. So they're raising hmm. price, businesses are able to raise their prices to compensate for the. Yeah. The higher labor costs, but that's interesting. Well, well, yeah, that, that sounds like a great read and, uh, you know, uh, uh, hopefully it gets on the bestseller list when you you uh, take another stab at it. And, and uh, uh, I think you need to you know get it out there in other languages. That would that would also yeah. I, I, that's what I tried to do. Didn't help me, but <laughs> yeah, I tried. And, and now, Joe, you're at at Mitre. Tell us a, a little bit about Mitre. Yeah, so my Mitre runs uh, six what are called federally funded uh, research and development centers, and in each one it partners with uh, part of government to accomplish uh, certain missions. Uh, it does a, a lot of t- very technical work uh, in cryptography, in working with statistical agencies to protect their data, in, in helping these agencies uh, make major uh, IT purchases. Um, and its its main goal is to work on really hard problems that the government and society is facing to bring together the right people and then to deliver a product uh, that actually addresses the problem and, and results in a solution that makes everybody better off. And it, it really tends to focus on key big issues that, that involve systems of systems or that involve a, a whole of government uh, approach to the, uh, to, to, to the problem. And, and one of the things it's, doing that attracted me was it's spending a lot of resources on an internal project to better understand this great power competition that we seem to be starting to go through with the China and, you know, to a lesser extent, Iran, uh, Russia, and some other uh, countries. And so we're looking at key 
variables in there, including the, the role of China's build, uh, uh, BRI. Yeah, um, one Belt, One Road. One Belt, One Road. Um, the uh, scope of illegal fishing uh, in, um, in one of these areas is the role of the dollar. And, and how it's been changing in response both to technology, but also to um, just normal economic factors like the rise of China. Yeah, it sounds like a great place to work. A lot of very interesting topics. Not as good as it, analytics, but, you know, I'm just. just yeah. Yeah, like I couldn't problem. aspire to that. But Close second. Close second. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to displace Chris and I would never do that. <laughs> oh, I think you're going for my job. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we'll come back to the dollar. Before we do that, though, I, yeah. the, the three of us were having an email exchange last night. And I'm curious how you'd weigh in on this question. Uh -huh. uh, it's a very important question. Very, very important. Uh, obviously, this is uh, one that Ryan posed. Uh, it's uh, what's the best Christmas movie? And Ryan says there's this is like a slam dunk. There is an there's only one choice. For only yeah. one. Which, that, uh, which that one with... Um... That guy. Um, that, that, that works. Yeah. That one? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> that one. one. That's, that's, a good one. <laughs> that's the best. It's, it's the one where he died. You mean, uh, one, uh, Jimmy Stewart, one, yeah. Yeah, my wonderful, uh, wonderful it's life. It's a wonderful life. life. That's, wonderful life. That's it. That's the I, prototypical. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you, Joe. Do you, do you, Chris? Yeah. Is that your number one movie? Christmas that's movie? number one Christmas movie yeah. by or, far. Come on. No. That's not what Ryan had in mind. Mm-mm. So Ryan, a, Ryan, Ryan actually is a diehard fan. It can't be diehard, is it? No, no. I was joking about that because oh, everyone yeah, says it's diehard die for Christmas. Is that a Christmas movie? Yeah. 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 It's set in Christmas. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. So Mark, what's yours? Well. <laughs> well, there was this. I don't know the name of it, but there was this one movie about this small kid, and it was like in a third-person voice. And I think it was the dad was. Uh, oh, uh, a Christmas story. A, Chris a Christmas story. Boy, a Christmas story. Oh, yeah. yeah. That yeah. Was, that was. That's really hilarious. Funny. It reminded me yeah. of my my see, I'm older than you guys, and that movie kind of was my childhood to some degree. You know, mm -hmm. not that my dad was that guy's dad. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Christmas story. Yeah, I like that one. But that's not what you had in mind either, is it, Ryan? So you're close. Oh, okay. Oh, Joe, Joe and Chris are way off. Uh, <laughs> Without a doubt, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Is the best. Oh, that is good. Christmas movie of all time. That is good. That's to Chevy Chase, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Where they have the lights. Yeah. On the oh yeah. 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 It, that is hilarious. It, yeah. That is. That good. is funny. pretty good. How about um, from an economics uh, point of view, Trading Places? Right. That's the. Oh, that's a, that's a close. That's second. a good one. That's that's a great movie. Or Eddie Murphy. Now picking movies. Eddie Murphy. That yeah. Like, or is that was that? Oh, that's Christmas. Uh, well, it, it, again, debatable. It is to the same degree that Die Hard is a Christmas yeah, movie. It does it. take place over Christmas. That's set in Philadelphia. It is. Yeah, that was that's right. Movie. That was. Oh yeah. Marsh Hughes Futures. Oh. Yep. And what's what's that one with the other guy? Um, <laughs> there, there you go. The, the that's got to be right. The new one. It's um, like a, it's a takeoff of a Christmas story, but it's got uh, oh. an next Saturday night. Um, SCTV guy in it. I don't know that one. Uh, Bill Murray. It's got Bill Murray in it. Is it a new movie? Yeah, oh, it's drawn out day related. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's about uh, Scrooge. Yeah, that's it. Scrooge. That's a great one. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, Mark, okay. you got to see if you love uh, Groundhog Day. I love Bill Murray. Yeah. I love yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah. Okay. I'll got to watch that. Good. Well, we got something out of this podcast. Christmas Eve kind of feel to it, right? I mean, you had to do it. It's, right? it's the week leading up to Christmas. It's perfect. Leading up to Christmas. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's chat the uh, dollar and currency and crypto and all that kind of good stuff. So I got to, I know we're not going to play the game, but I'm going to play the game. I got a number for you. This is, this is a good segue into the, the topic at hand. Already? 60 percent. 60 percent. I know that. I'm going to guess. Currency. Uh, it's it's uh, dollars, uh, the share of reserve currencies that's uh, filled by dollars. Got it. Perfect. Wow. Where's that cow? Joe knows his numbers. No, it's right Cowbell. here. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Thank you. Pathetic, actually. A pathetic napping album. children, Mark. Napping oh, so, oh children. sorry, right. You're taking care of kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> only, so, good, only so much we can go. Yeah, Thank what, you. Sixty. What? Okay. What's the uh, second largest currency in the basket? If you look at reserve currencies, euros. Oh. euros okay. okay. But yeah, percent. And then what's next after that? I guess. Uh, you see, they're SDRs or the pound. Oh, I, I'd say what? pound. I didn't even see the SDRs. I don't know if the, maybe these. I don't know if SDRs uh, were included in this table I was looking at. I'm not sure. Uh, actually, the you know, interestingly enough, it's the yen. It's up like six, seven percent. Oh, reserve basket, and uh, the pound is like four or five percent. Then you've got the Chinese currency, renminbi, and uh, what else is in there? You know, a few few smaller currencies. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Joe, what what does it what does it mean to be a reserve currency? What does that mean? Well, it's it's just, it's um, so central banks exist at least partly, maybe mainly to handle. Uh, uh, well, I guess mainly to handle routine functions, but a, a big part of what they do is they serve as bedrocks when the economy goes south for a while. And, and so one of the things you need to, if you're going to be the bedrock is you need, you need assets that you can sell when the time comes so that you can inject liquidity into the market. And so you want an asset that's going to hold its value, maybe even is going to appreciate when the economy goes down or you're about to enter a recession. Um, and the dollar fulfills that role because one, the the, the, the dollar markets are so big and so liquid that you can always sell your dollar assets and, and get cash. And they're also regarded as very safe in, in that people don't think they're going to fall over time. Uh, and, it's, and, and so um, you, people, you know, if you put them in your reserve pile, you're pretty sure that they're going to maintain their value. And in fact, they even increase in value in, in uh, times of financial stress because everybody goes to the dollar. So reserves um, are what they sound like, the reserves, right? You, yes. The governments hold these uh, currencies in, in reserve uh, if they need them to, uh, and you're saying they generally don't need them in typical times. Uh, you know, they'll build reserves or they'll wind down reserves a little bit depending on what's going on with trade and the balance of payments, mm -hmm. but, but in times of stress, you know, that can come, it's 
particularly important because people need uh, businesses, households need cash, they need liquidity, as you said, and the reserves uh, provide that uh, that source of liquidity in times of stress. Yeah, yeah, and they, they also pay for uh, you know if the country runs a, a trade deficit over time, you know you can use your reserves to pay that for that. Pay that down, right? But you can only yeah. do that for so long until you get yeah. in trouble, which you know some some, and you know there's there's this always this kind of underlying lingering concern that you hear expressed that you know, the dollar is going to lose, the dollar is the reserve currency, 60% of all reserves are in dollars, that uh, it's going to lose its status as the reserve currency, that is the, the currency that's used in, you know, a lot of trans global transactions, and as you say, is a kind of a safe haven when times are tough. Uh, do you have any sense that that is, a, a, you have any concern about that, that the, that the, the Dollar could lose its reserve currency. Not, not really. I, I, I you know, its reserve status is it. it the dollar whole, fulfills several um, functions, and one is reserve status. Another is invoicing currency. That you know, oil is usually priced in dollars rather than some other currency, and and then also that it's used in transactions and. Um, as far as the reserve currency, you want something that's going to hold value, and and to do that, you need the company, the country uh, that it is providing the reserve currency needs to be big. Its markets need to be liquid um, and varied, but you also need uh, an institutional setting that reassures people. Uh, you need to. Um, you know, a rule of law that will uphold contracts. Uh, you need a um, pretty free, uh, um, a lack of capital controls so that you can sell uh, different currencies um, and exchange them as you want, you know, and the government's not gonna, you know, put down, um, have new laws that, you that limit you. Come in and say, look, you can't change the, the dollar for the euro or the dollar yeah. for the Chinese or NIMBY or whatever it may be. Yeah. That, that's that that's free flow of capital. There's no capital controls. Like the yeah. Chinese have and, capital controls. Yeah. And 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 the other thing is is since the economy is span, expanding over time, the 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 you know the USA, since it's the dollar, has to provide more dollars over time. And, and that means it runs a trade deficit. And so the country has to be willing, you know, if, if another country is going to displace us, it has to be willing to run a significant trade deficit over many years. And, and I, I don't see any country willing to do that. The, the, you know, the, the Chinese lack the, the institutional setting, the free cap, the free markets, um, and just the stability. Uh, that the U.S. has, and so it, it. I don't think it's ever going to seriously challenge the U.S. the dollar as a reserve currency. Uh, one one currency that could is if 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 a true euro market arose. Right, right now you have a, a euro mark, a, a French euro market, a German euro market, a Greek euro market, but if more euros were backed by all countries, and so they were you know, interchangeable, uh, that would significantly broaden the pool of assets in, the, in their liquidity. 
And that could boost the euro's um, percentage in, in, as far as uh, reserve currencies. One thing I did notice, you know, looking at the data is, you know, it's been 60% roughly. It's been 60% for a long time, roughly. Yeah. You know, up, it's up a little bit, down a little bit in any given year, but it doesn't really, it has not really changed to any appreciable degree, despite all the hand-wringing about this. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, I guess the question is, if in, if it isn't the dollar, exactly who would yeah. this currency would be the reserve currency? And it's hard to imagine. It, it, I mean, yeah, the, the euro maybe could could not displace this, but increase its its uh, importance. But we've been through this before. We, you know, there was concern about the yen. There was concern about the mark, the German mark. Then there was concern about the euro when it was created. There was a little bit of concern over SDRs issued by the IMF. And now there's concern over China. China. And it, it, in each case, I think just when you look at it, the, the advantages of the, the dollar are so great. Yeah. I mean, well, mentioned, well, we've mentioned SDRs yeah. twice. Can you just describe quickly for the listener what an SDR is? Sure. It's, it's called special drawing rights, and it's made up of a basket of uh, currencies, including the, the uh, yuan. And um, the IMF issues it periodically to members of the IMF. Uh, they issue certain baskets, and then those members can if they want to, at some point, take them back to the IMF and get paid in the currencies. And so it, it, it gives each recipient country, you know, a, a basket of currencies that they can sell if they need assets kind of quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, well, I had another thought, but uh, it, that's It'll okay. come back to I've me. got plenty of thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I've got plenty of thoughts. Uh, so why do we want to be the reserve currency? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, why? Yeah. Why, so why, I, I, it's a big deal. Yeah. If, who cares if euro or yen or even the Chinese yuan became the reserve currency? Why would we have a problem with that? We get, you know, maybe if different people measure it differently, but we get maybe 300 billion uh, in benefits a year from having the reserve oh, currency. Okay, yeah, well, so we get some seniorage because you know we it costs less to make a dollar than to get you know than than just to uh, sell it. Um, so you make a, a little bit of money there, but uh, um, um, like an more NFT important to me. Huh? Sounds yeah. like an NFT to me. <laughs> so no, no uh, come back to that. I, I, um, you know, a more important reason is that all this demand for dollar assets reduces the interest rate on dollar borrowing. So when the, when the Federal Reserve or that, you know, goes out to borrow money or the Treasury goes out to borrow money, it gets a lower rate. But also when you and I go out to borrow, we get, you know, a slightly lower rate on what we, what we're, uh, you know, the loan we get. Um, another is we, we get a, uh, at our financial uh, industries have a sort of leg up overseas because they're already deeply entrenched in the dollars, the dollars uh, uh, benefits. Um, you know, another is that if, if we tighten up monetary policy in this country, some of that pain 
is shared by other countries because how do we tighten up monetary policy? We raise interest rates. And if you raise interest rates on the dollar, then um, you know other company other countries have to worry about capital flowing out to the US. Um, so so they're you know they feel a need to raise interest rates too to keep funds from leaving. So um, you know, so those some of those are some of the main benefits. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Chris and uh, and and Ryan, um, did you think uh, Joe missed anything here with regard to the in the discussion around the reserve currency? The the concern. Are you guys wor at all worried about the U.S. dollar losing its reserve currency status? Uh, any any concerns about that? You're you're in the same camp not, with Joe. Yeah, yeah, not my lifetime. Not, yeah, not anytime soon. But if it did, I don't know that I would be terribly worried. If, if, it, if the euro did take, yeah, there are benefits that- That's because you're Italian. That's why you're- We lose. <laughs> but I, I don't know that it's such a, uh, I don't see it as a catastrophic event, right? No. The British pound was the reserve count, uh, currency for centuries, and then it wasn't anymore, but UK still goes on, right? So not the, it's not a cataclysmic event. Do you think that's right? Huh? Yeah, it, well, no, I, it's not a catastrophic event, but I think you know, I, th I think what would seriously hurt the dollar's role uh, is all things that the U.S. would be responsible for. So if we let inflation get wildly out of control, that would you know make people think twice about the dollar. If if we toy a little bit too much about you know defaulting on the dollar and you know. Not, not paying it, you know, back I and mean, not making payments quite on time, like we sort of do every year when we hit the, the debt ceiling. Um, you know, if, if people start to really take that seriously, that could really hurt us. Um, so, so there, you know, there just general mismanagement of our economy could really hurt the dollar over time, not suddenly, but over time. And so, you know, the, the lesson is if you're concerned about those things, let's get our house in better shape. Got it. And we've been, the dollar has been the reserve currency now since really since World War II, really, or maybe even World War I, really. Yeah, yeah. you could argue World, World War I. Because Germany came, or not or Germany came out of that with a lot of debt, but so did uh, Great Britain. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so really, and and the British pound was the reserve currency in the 19th century, up through World War One. Yeah, so 125, 150 years, something like that. Yeah, okay, all right, very good. Hey, you know, um, before we move on to crypto, uh, you know, one thing that I've observed that I find uh, fascinating, I guess it's in a, in a kind of a weird wonky sense, is that the dollar, the value of the dollar has been very stable against other currencies. You know, there's chaos in the economy, right? Pandemic, geopolitical issues, China, U.S. trade war, you know, or, you know, all kinds of things, you know, uh, all things going on. But through it all, certainly in recent years, I mean, you know, if you go back to, you know, last five, six, seven, eight years, uh, the dollar has been stable. And if you look at the dollar on a broad trade weight basis, so, of course, the dollar you can look at it against all these different currencies. And if you look at it against these currencies appropriately weighted to reflect, you know, our trading relationship with those countries, the broad trade weighted dollar is today roughly where it's been on average. This is on a real basis on average 
since the Bretton Woods Agreement uh, collapsed and we went to floating exchange rates back in the early 1970s. So over the past 50 years, if you go look at the average real broad trade weight of dollar, we're, we're pretty close there. Maybe a little on the high side, you know, right now, but, you know, very, very close. And again, relative stability. Is that something you, you know, that is just me or is that something you've observed and have thought about? It's just to anybody, to Joe, to Ryan, to Chris, is this kind of entered into your thinking at all? Yeah, no, no, certainly. So as we, you know, we yeah, talked about okay. the gold standard in our inflation episode. So certainly I, I, that to me is evidence of why are we, why are we even contemplating a change here, right? Things are working out relatively well. Obviously there are things can improve, but why are we, why would we reject this, uh, the current environment here and go back to a gold standard that we know has a, a track record yeah. of uh, volatility, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with you. It, it, it's so normal that I think uh, we we take it for granted. Any other comments yeah. around that, Joe? I mean, have you is that got on your radar screen that that observation I just made about the stability of the currency markets? I mean, historically, you can see big swings in currencies, right? We've 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 seen that in the past, but we just have not seen that in recent years, despite all the volatility that's going on. Uh, that's something that's gone on your radar screen. Yeah, and I haven't thought a lot about it, but to me, it's just a, another sign that, you know, these these markets are uh, deep and liquid and that the, the advantages that the dollar has are so systematic uh, that it's, it just, it, it it, it's going to take a long time for anything to replace the dollar. And right now, no asset has the traits that would be necessary to, um, to do that. Right, right. And, it, and of course, this is a nice segue, although I'm not sure I want to make the segue exactly at this moment because there's one other thing I want to talk about. But this makes a nice segue into crypto, right? One of the issues with crypto, obviously Bitcoin, Ethereum, and there's a gazillion other ones at this point, is the, their, their, their value fluctuates widely against everything and anything else, right? It's, you know, particularly we compare it against the dollar, we tend to compare everything against the dollar. But if you compare it against the dollar, it's like up and down and all around. But before I, we go to crypto, and I know I've teased this a couple times, I promise we're gonna get to crypto. Uh, why, you know, one of the criteria for being a reserve currency is size and, you know, uh, heft in, uh, in global trade. And obviously, talking about size, you got you think China, and you know in terms of trade, I think the Chinese trade more than the U.S. now. So you add up imports and exports from China to the rest of the world, it's it's in, in sheer numbers in dollars, it's bigger than I think the U.S. at this point. And you know obviously that's going to continue to be the case, I believe. So that obviously isn't the only criteria for choosing a reserve currency, but you know why why don't you think the Chinese could displace the dollar as a reserve currency? Ryan said, "Not in my lifetime." Well, why do you think that? You know, what is it about the Chinese system that precludes it from you know uh, taking on the reserve currency status? Anyone want to take a crack at that question? Yeah. So if you know if if you're a, a different you know government. You know, European governments say, and you, you you're building up reserves, and you want them, uh, you know, you want them to be there and retain their value, in uh, you know, in in times of crisis, 
so you can have the dollar, which is you know got a long history, deep markets, a rule of law, pretty stable government uh, policy, uh, or you could have the Chinese one, which is you know increasingly controlled by a, 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 a you know hostile dictatorship that you know. The Communist Party reserves the right to renegotiate international uh, agreements at any time, has strict capital control, so you can't easily change, you know, a couple billion dollars worth of yuan into something else all of a sudden. Um, and, you know, it is, is not, uh, you know, it looks out for itself and, and doesn't really care about what act impact its policies, national policies have on other countries. You know, it, it seems faced with that choice, countries are going to choose dollars. Got it. Got and I don't think you know that characterization of the Chinese government is going to change anytime soon. So to summarize, it boils down to property rights, most fundamentally, I mean, because uh, the Chinese government can change the rules on who owns what with a with uh, just a statement, really. And I guess capital controls are, you know, part and postal of that same. It's a, it's a, it's a tangential. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's in the same vein as property rights, but kind of a different different kind of uh, problem with, uh, for the yuan to become a, a reserve currency. You just have the capital controls. People can't take their money in and out of China easily. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Okay, um, so let's turn to uh, the other currency that people seem to be thinking might ultimately displace the dollar, or, or so-called fiat currencies. Fiat meaning they're backed by the full faith of, and credit of a of government. So you have you know trust in the government is going to support the value of that of that currency and not debase it, not result in do things that are going to result in you know, high rates of inflation or deflation, you're going to maintain the stability of that uh, of that currency. And that's that's crypto. So crypto, you know, people think in, in this, you know, fiat currency is, you know, in some sense, private, but it's also public, right? It ultimately, it works because it has the backing of a, of a government and institutions that, that people trust. Uh, and uh, crypto is purely private. There, at this point, there's no you know, government support to it. Uh, so very different kind of way of operating. So I guess, Joe, I, I'd like to know before we dive in here into this conversation, are you, and I, I know what Ryan and Chris are, but I, you know, Chris is, I would call a, a crypto crazy. You know, he's, he, he uh. believes in crypto. <laughs> uh, and, and Ryan is a, a crypto denier. You know, he thinks it's you know, going, you know, it's going, going to zero. Obviously, I'm mischaracterizing their perspectives. They, you know, I think they both, and I'll let them speak for themselves on this. But are you a, a crypto crazy? Do you, you know, think this is the future, or are you a crypto denier? Just so we level set here in the beginning. Yeah. So I'm. I guess I'm midway there. I. I mean, I think the the movement, and especially Bitcoin, have come up with some valuable innovations, like the blockchain. Um, the fact that you don't need a central uh, you know, money market or money maker, it, you can deal, you know, people can deal directly. You can exchange funds with anybody without somebody intermediating. Um, I think um, 
but also the, the ability to do transactions relatively cheaply, uh, especially international transactions, is really important. And I think those innovations would be uh, integrated into the formal market in some way, uh, and, and probably not just in the financial markets, but other other markets will find a way to use things like uh, the blockchain. Um, but I, you know, I don't see why, um, as like on domestic markets where, you know, in, increasingly transactions are electronic anyway. You give you a debit card or your credit card, um, you know, and transactions between banks are totally electronic. Um, so what is, you know, something like Bitcoin offer in that? Um, and, and also the transfers domestically are pretty cheap and rapid. Uh, you know, Bitcoin or you know, cryptocurrencies could put pressure on them a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't see what, you know, what the there is. is. Um, yeah. What's the value? It, why, yeah. why, why, what does and, it offer that? The yeah, or the, the euro and, or the yen doesn't provide. Yeah, and the crypto market really is still Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's, I think, way too volatile to ever be, you know, in a foreseeable future, a, um, you know, a, a, a widely used for making transactions. Maybe as a store of value, if people might be correct in, their, in thinking that it's going to continue to go up over time. Uh, and maybe lose some of these wild swings, but but as as a medium of transaction, um, is is a medium of uh, you know pricing products. I I don't see it being Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I think maybe stable. I, there's a coins. lot to unpack there. One thing I think is important for uh, people to recognize is we need to distinguish the blockchain from the cryptocurrency. Right, the blockchain yeah. is a technology that the cryptocurrency utilizes but the blockchain you know is a technology that has many potential use cases although at this point there isn't a whole lot of them but you know it allows for you know a transparent accounting of transactions between entities you know people businesses that kind of thing so it it's it's a it's it's a technology that that the that bitcoin and, and ethereum and other uh, cryptocurrencies use, but you know these are independent things. Uh, so it, you know, it it does add the uh, value that you know it is transparent, and you can make sure that you know the transactions are you know proper and in order. So that does add value to you know Bitcoin and Ethereum. But these are these are independent you know kind of things. In terms of the uh, point about uh, 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 medium of exchange and store of value. You know, my sense is that that's the those are the two key uh, sources of value of any currency, right? They you use it as a medium of exchange. You know, I get a dollar and I can spend it for you know a tube of toothpaste, and I can exchange it, and I feel confident that the dollar I have in my pocket today is going to buy the same roughly tube of toothpaste a week from now and a month from now. And the other is it's a store of value, so I can you know just put that dollar away and get it, you know, three years from now when I'm in retirement and it's still, you know, it's going to lose a little bit of value because we'll have some inflation, but 
you know, it, we can, I can still use it. And if I take that dollar and I invest in some asset that's producing some kind of interest rate, you know, I can build my wealth and, you know, I have more money when I retire. Uh, all of that, both of those values, the, uh, the um, medium of exchange and store value depends on stability, right? On the stability of the currency, on that that thing is not going to move in value in a big way. And that obviously is not the case for crypto, right? I mean, that goes up and down yeah. and all around. Yeah, it's, it's not the case for Bitcoin. It, it could be the case for some crypto. You know, there's this talk of stable coins where you back, just like in a bank, you, you, you know, you issue coins or money and then you back all that money with, uh, with liquid assets. And so when, whenever somebody comes to you and they want to redeem a bunch of the coins, you, you know, you give them dollars back. Um, and so the, the, those stable coins are designed to hold their value relative to whatever they're is backing them, whether it's the dollar or a mix of currencies. Okay, or, just to just to back, yeah. just to take a step back. So you're okay. We've got Bitcoin, Ethereum. We're using those as the poster childs for a cryptocurrency. Yeah. And now you're saying, okay, yes, I, everyone now understands that the volatility of the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum makes it less valuable or useful as a store of value or medium of exchange. You know, maybe it's useful as a medium of speculation, but you can't use it as a currency. So how do I solve that problem? And the way that the, the, the market has tried to solve the problem was these so-called stable coins. So what would be an example of a good tether would be an example yeah. of a stable coin. And stable coins say, okay, I'm going to, uh, 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 you give me a dollar, I'll give you whatever you, I'll give you the stable coin and I'll make sure if you give me that stable coin back, I, you're going to get a, you're, you, you're going to get the dollar back. Right. Yeah. And the, and the dollar you give me, I'm going to invest in whatever, uh, you know, I can, I'm going to invest in. And you're saying that solves that problem, or at least addresses that problem of volatility, and makes it more likely to be a medium of exchange. It, it does as long as the stable coins can be redeemed at any time. And, and so the yeah. worry is, yeah. is like the money markets. Exactly. Yeah, great. And everybody says, oh, there's, you know, we don't need federal backing of money markets. Everybody understands the risks. And then you go into, you know, an almost depression and a couple of the money markets, you know, break the dollar and the Fed feels compelled and the federal government feels compelled to come in and back everybody up. Because so, so Chris, you were, you were just commenting there. So can you want to explain yeah. that risk in a little bit more detail? You know, what's the concern about stablecoin at this point in time? Uh, it goes right to your point about it being backed a dollar for dollar, right? That at that that promise that uh, a depositor makes in exchanging a dollar bill for a a, a tether or U.S. dollar, whatever stablecoin, uh, that that promise is uh, ironclad, right? If it, if at the if the next day the uh, the fund tether is investing those funds in whatever uh, instruments. And there is a crisis; they may not be able to redeem uh, those uh, those coins back uh, for a dollar. So that's the that's the issue I see. I also I still fail to see what the true value to the consumer. How is this any different to me than um, entries in my bank account, electronic entries in my bank account? Why? What is the advantage of you know paying for something 
with this coin versus just a debit card or yeah. uh, a transfer. Yeah, so that's the, that's the value. The yeah, why, why would you do that? I mean, why? But, yeah, I think there, there are two reasons. One is on international transactions, there are okay. high transaction costs. And so the, the other one is secrecy. You know, to, to, to these these stable coins or the, the, the uh, crypto coins, they don't offer complete privacy or, or security, uh, but they are pretty secure and, um, and, and anonymous. And so if that's what you want, either for legal or illegal purposes, that, that it would be an asset or is an asset. Right. Um, is also a main uh, regulatory concern. Right. So, so uh, two two fundamental sources of value. If you solve the the vol the question of the volatility of the value of it, of it, which is stablecoin, you get two sources of value. One is that um, it it's uh, a better medium of exchange in international transactions. Because right now, let's say I'm a uh, uh, immigrant worker in the Central Valley of California. I get my paycheck and I want to get it back to my family, let's say in El Salvador. You know, uh, previously I had to go down to the Western Union with my cash. They would turn it into a wire, wire it down to uh, El Salvador. My, my, uh, my, my relative would have to go to the Western Union down there and collect the, the cash. And of course, Western Union, this is, could, be a, uh, could be a two day, three day process. Western Union you know, collects its VIG, you know, it takes a fee. And there's reports of, you know, people getting robbed as they come out of the Western Union in El Salvador because people know they're going there for getting cash, right? So that's a problem. So here, this could solve that problem to get that money down. And that's why, to some, one of the reasons why El Salvador said, okay, we're going to take uh, Bitcoin as legal tender. Dollars, welcome. Uh, you know, we've been dollarized uh, in El Salvador, but we'll take uh, Bitcoins as well. So does that and the other value is as you say it you know secret i can move the money around and you know i it's it's hard to track uh, or... yeah and, and actually one other is that if for people who aren't for you know people who don't have bank accounts um it it can it can provide several valuable services especially you know, you know yeah here you know that population is relatively small in other developing countries, uh, especially when in the rural areas, you know, very few people might have uh, bank accounts. And so this gives them a place to easily, everybody's got a phone. So they can buy stuff, they can put stuff in a savings account. Yeah, these are once. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, say this. Ready, can you see you wanted to say something? Go okay. ahead. <laughs> this, is once, I, I, this is one solution. Crypto. <laughs> but, you know, we have other solutions out there too, right? I, yeah. I make international transactions as well. I have family in Europe. Obviously, it's not a developing country, but yeah, I've seen the prices of those transactions falling over time. You can very easily PayPal. Uh, someone uh, today. So I think the technologies are interesting and we will learn from them. And I see this as just an extension of broader fintech trends, right? So we had that fintech boom a few years ago, perhaps it's still ongoing in terms of lending. And now the banks have largely adopted many of those uh, technologies. So 
I think it's great that we're experimenting it, but I don't see the long-term viability. I think these, there are other uh, advantages that we've just described or ascribed to the dollar that I think are going to overwhelm the, um, any advantage that Bitcoin could provide. I guess the other issue is regulation, right? I mean, the, uh, yeah. the banking system is highly regulated, which adds to the confidence that, you know, money good. If I put my money in the bank and move it in the banking system, you know, that money's there. No one's going to, you know, I'm not going to lose it. You know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get dollar for dollar. Uh, and, and also money market mutual funds now post financial crisis, right? I mean, mm. you, because before the financial crisis, money market mutual funds could so-called break the buck. One, one of them did, and that was one of the proximate causes for the, you know, the cratering of the financial system because people thought, oh my gosh, this was money good, but it really isn't. I'm going to lose money. And there was a run on money market mutual funds. And so the stable coin is very much, as Joe, you said, the analog to a money market mutual fund, but it's not re at this point, not regulated, right, Joe? It, I mean, no, and, and, you can't and, you be know. assured you're going to get your money back. They say yeah. you're going to get your money back, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of regulated. And then if, if, if you, you know, if, if you sell this, uh, these things under a promise, the federal government will hold you to that promise. And so uh, a, a couple of staple coins have gotten fined because they, they, the, the assets they had in reserve weren't the assets that they were telling everybody they were getting. Um, so, but, but there's an indirect form of regulation. I think most most people think, well, you got to regulate them somewhere in this banks because the government's, you know, going to have to guarantee them at some point. So because why would we want the bank? We we establish the regulations in the banking system to protect against this problem of runs on the system, which are devastating in times of crisis. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, what happened in the 1930s was a bank run. Uh, you know. What happened around the financial crisis? That was a, a run on money market mutual funds on the financial system. So we know that those are pretty bad things. We don't want that to happen. So why would we let this other system that's setting up that has the same risk not be regulated in the same way? It does, that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. I mean, getting back to it's a wonderful life. Getting, yeah. Oh, there you, oh. there you go. Can I, I like right it all there. there. Full circle. Full circle life, yes. It's mm -hmm. all there. Yeah. So I guess Chris's point is, well, once that happens, and logic would dictate that that's going to happen, right? That yeah. we're going to—I mean, obviously, this is a big debate in Washington right now, and you know, it's in the legislative process. But feels like at the end of the day, there's going to be more regulation here. So once that happens, the cost of operating stablecoin rises to be, you know, more consistent. And as Chris points out, transferring money and doing all those things that stablecoin can do uh, in the regular banking system better. You know why? Why stablecoin? Why would you have it? What, what, what's the comparative advantage? Why? Why is it going to live? You know, to see another day. I guess the answer is we don't know. Maybe the mm -hmm. technology can change in a way that makes it more valuable, but we it's hard to see that at the current point in time. But don't you think if there's a run, like, I mean, there was a run on money market mutual funds, the Fed stepped in. Do you think the Fed's going to step into crypto markets if there's a liquidity issue? I don't think so. Why? If they get not right big now. Why not? Yeah, that? exactly. Yeah, why? If if they get big, they have to get much bigger. I mean, they have to impose yeah. a contagion effect on the financial system, and I don't think that would 
If Bitcoin went to zero tomorrow, I don't think the financial system's going to collapse. Know how, what, what, how much is in stable coin? What, do you know what it like? I, I don't. Is it assets under management? I guess. What, you know, do we know? Yeah. I, I know uh, the value total crypto right now is about two. It's well over two trillion dollars. It got up to uh, three. It sounds yeah. like a lot. Yeah. It, it was. Three. Well, it's come back yeah. now, right? Because it, yeah. it's like down twenty oh, percent. Yeah. On the day, yeah. I guess. <laughs> in November, I think right. it was three trillion. It was yeah, I think. Okay. I think it's relatively minor, but it's been growing rapidly the last couple yeah. of years, two years maybe. Yeah. Um, right. So I, you know, I, I kind of agree with Chris. I don't, you know, I, I think these companies, uh, the more successful ones, are going to push the envelope on technology and services, and hopefully that will get adapted by the, you know, the the incumbents. Um, but uh, you know, in the end, I think the, the advantages of fiat currency are so great that. It's hard for me to see one of these, uh, you know, emerging, and and I think the competition is going to whittle it down to I don't know two or three, uh, who who you know fight to be the stable coin. But even then, I think you know if you really want a stable coin that's backed one hundred percent by dollars, why not just have dollars? Yeah. Why do you need yeah, this? Exactly. Man? Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you need a bank yeah. because you want you want the bank the bank's going to earn money by lending it at a higher rate to somebody else, and it's going to you know it, 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 it's going to um, you know successfully transfer a, a short term liability into a long term asset. Um, but whether cryptocurrency is going to do that is of equal worth. Well, here's here's the other issue. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about the relative merits, but one of the demerits, I think, of the crypto market is it's definitely a, a vehicle for raw speculation, right? I mean, speculation in the sense that I, you know I'm I'm just buying this thing because I can I think I can sell it to the greater the other fool faster before it yeah. kind of falls in value, right? I mean, and that that again that who cares if it's you know private parties, not a big deal, can't hurt a lot of people if prices go down when it, when it does eventually go, because it will go down. But, you know, if it's big and there were two, three trillion dollars and rising rapidly, that's a whole different ballgame. And it's sucking lots of people in. I mean, Chris, didn't you tell me, or was it Ryan, you saw a Bitcoin ATM, you know? Yeah, it's at my local that? gas station. Local gas station. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. And there was someone using it. I'm curious how it works. So next time I go in, I'm going to read the instructions. What were they putting their American Express card in and saying, uh, give me I have no idea. You know, one one hundredth of a Bitcoin, which is how much that would be. That's still a lot of money. That's yeah. Thousand. Still a lot. Thousand. No, four hundred and seventy dollars. That would be mm -hmm. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, am I wrong about that? I mean, what do you think? Well, speculation and nefarious. If you oh, are using it for transactions, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Most of those yeah. transactions are not to buy gas, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, Joe. So, I mean, if you, you know, I, I know you, you're uh, very. I don't think skeptical is the right word, but you're very judicious when you think about. You want to use regulation judiciously. You don't want mm -hmm. to overregulate. You don't want to squelch, you know, private activity and innovation. 
but with that hat on, with that as a prism, it, tell me if I got that wrong, but it, no, that as a prism, true. how do you think about regulation of the crypto market? Well, I think we need regulations of stable, of stable coins. We need that. At a minimum, we need regulations against fraud. If they become any appreciable size, we need regulations because the Federal Reserve is going to have to worry about backing them in a crisis. Um, right now, our regulatory approach seems to be that we, we have five or six existing financial regulators, and they're all sort of jockeying for position and trying to decide what aspect of crisp cryptocurrency is in their existing jurisdiction and how they should use that these existing powers to you know to regulate the economy i think it would be much better if we step back and we we had a broader discussion about how to regulate cryptocurrencies and maybe wrote new rules that applied just to them and in assets like them and put them all in one regulator rather than having you know, a couple of regulators battle over jurisdiction uh, and also preempted state rules so that, you know, if you didn't have to worry about complying with 20 different states that all had their own different you're, you're, rules. You're not against regulation. You're just saying, if we're going to regulate, let's just do it right. But, you know, yeah. And I think these, you know, I, it, it might be that, you know, 10 years from now, People look back and see China made a big mistake when it banned all these cryptocurrencies, and that you know maybe we, you know, benefited a lot because we let them continue, uh, and we got a lot of innovation out of it. Yeah, and that that brings up the last thing I'd like to chat about with you, and that is uh, central bank digital currency. And as you point out, the Chinese did they actually ban all crypto? You're not allowed. To, I didn't know believe they, they did. But did they? And they now have. They haven't adopted, but they are. I think they they have a proof of concept. Let's call it for a central bank digital currency. Did, do you want to describe what they're up to and you know what CBD? Uh, yeah, is, is actually all about because it, yeah. it's it's, an, it's not. It's kind of it's a digital currency, so it's in the same crypto. It, I don't. It's a block. It's not blockchain based, is it? I don't think it is. No, no. it doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, yeah, and we, I've been meaning to. Like another book, Eshwar uh, uh, Pralad's book on uh, uh, the future of money is just oh yeah absolutely great on this, and he goes up till about June of this year, so it's got a lot of recent uh, events in, and uh, just a wonderful explanation of all these issues. Um, on our book list, we got a book. Yeah, list. and he years on there, and yeah, years on there. Yeah, I have. I don't know how many people have. Bought it. <laughs> yeah, sorry uh, about that. I'm not yeah, the start of a book club. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and he, I kind of agree with him that sort of CBDCs are pretty inevitable. Um, you know, these are these are this the central bank now issues dollars, uh, and and so instead of issuing dollars. It would it would give everybody an electronic uh, account. It, it, well, if 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 you have it, you could have a system where just only banks have uh, digital accounts with the Federal Reserve. But that's the system we already have. It's just they're they're in dollars, not in some other electronic 
something. But if you had a re what they call a retail uh, system where a lot of individuals and businesses had their own account in these digital dollars, uh, the Fed would issue them. And there's some advantages. There's one that the federal, the Fed contains control of the money supply and all these things are backed uh, in the same way that the, you know, a dollar bill or a quarter is backed. Um, it, it could make it easier for the Federal Reserve to conduct monetary policy if it had to inject money into the, the economy quickly. It could just put money in these accounts overnight where it, it could you know, aim at certain businesses or certain types of individuals and give them more money. Um, it, uh, it, it would probably displace any other digital coins. I, I think, why would you need another coin if, if you have these? Um, so so it's, it has real advantages. Um, it, it's, it'd be tougher to conduct illicit business with a, with a course, digital coin. Isn't uh, uh, the, the downside? Downs oh, Chris, go ahead. I, I've got a couple downsides, but I'm sure you're going there too. So no, I think go ahead. Well, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'll start. You, you, you yeah. continue. I mean, the, the disadvantage, right? Advantage, perhaps, that, you know, sure, greater control, but disadvantage certainly to commercial banks, right? As you mentioned, we already have a commercial bank digital yeah. currency. Most currencies actually created by the, the banking system, right? So, uh, isn't that, uh, that that seems to me as a, a significant uh, downside? You're putting all the no. eggs in the basket of the. Of the it fed. is. It is. But but you could put these accounts in banks, and just allow the Fed to reach into the bank and you know add money to the account. Or you could have uh, a um, you know you could have a minimum a maximum size on the account, so that. Okay. You know, most of your money still is in the banking se sector. The banks still get, you know, uh, the vast majority of deposits and use those to lend out. But I, I agree, it's a serious yeah. issue, and you don't want the Fed to be deciding who should get credit. You, you want the private sector to do that. Right. And, and, and oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. No, I was just going to say, shouldn't we be worried, though, about central government control? I mean, I, I, my sense is that's one reason why the Chinese want this, because they now have complete control over everything in the payment system. And holy cow, uh, you know, that's a lot of control and power. It feels just feels, I don't know, big yeah. to me. I, I, I'd be very I don't know. My, is that just misplaced concern? Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I think it's a general problem with technology. You know, we have these security cameras all around and uh, other things. And, and, you know, on the one hand, you want government to be able to stop fraud and stop crime. And on the other hand, you want to protect individuals. And I've, I've always thought that, you know, we need some sort of system where if the feds or any, you know, the state wants access to certain data, it has to show a court that well there was a crime committed here, you know, between this hour and that hour. And so I want to look at all the security cameras in that area. And and then that, you know, the court oversees that examination to make sure that the, the government doesn't tamper with the records or go beyond its, you know, what's been allowed. 
and show that the controls of access by the state is, you know, very restricted to legitimate means. And you could you could do that, you know, you could you could set up that sort of a system with a CBDC. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me. What? How do you handicap this, Joe? I mean, in the U.S., uh, ten. Let's say ten years from now, what are the odds that we're going to be moving in the direction of a central bank digital currency? I think about a hundred percent. I think. I think it makes sense to do it slowly to get yeah. Congress on board, to have it so everybody, including you know most of the public, understand what's being done and how it's going to work and why we're doing it. Uh, I don't think we have to race China to set one up, but I, th- I think we would do it. Wow. With a hundred percent. That that's a, that's. Okay. 98. That's conviction. Do you have any guess other than 98.5. You're going to continue to rise every, every morning. hundred yeah, percent. That's pretty 100%. confident. Yeah. Okay. Did Chris, did you hear that Ryan? I heard it. Yeah. What do you, do you have a different set of odds or do you need to think about it more deeply before you answer? I'll take the under. Yeah, I'll take the under. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> uh, good move. Good. Ryan, I'm sure Ryan's the same way. That was my mistake right there. Well, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's going to take a lot longer to happen than people think. And then all of a sudden it's going to happen very quickly, you know? So I don't know about 10 years from now, but it could be a couple of gen- Sorry about my dogs. You know, there, it, it is what it is. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it's going to, you know, may, maybe a generation from now and then all of a sudden. But I think I suspect it's going to take more than 10 years uh, for us to move down this path. It's, it's a big change. feels like mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Big, big change. Yeah. Anyway, we covered a, a, a boatload of ground, as they would say. And I do want to make a couple advertisements. At oh, Mark's yeah, Andy. There, there we go. go. There <laughs> it is. At, uh, Never fails. On, on Twitter. Uh, so my handle is at Mark Zandy. Ryan, you, last week you told me you were going to tell us what your new Twitter handle is. Oh, I forgot to check. Oh, you forgot. I'll, I'll have it for you next week. Uh, you're you're not you're playing nonchalant. And Joe, do you have it? Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I think my handle is uh, at jv underscore kennedy. So it doesn't sound like you use it very often. That not not too often. Is, is I, I get on in these people I follow. I mean, I don't know who yeah. they are. Yeah, it's just a quite a hey. creepy thing. You, you, hey, I'm just saying, Joe, at Mark Sandy. I mean, you know, you can follow me. <laughs> Chris, you're not on Twitter, right? You I, I, uh, I am following you. Oh, you are? Oh, okay. Yeah, this week okay. I, uh, I logged in. <laughs> okay, okay, fantastic. Very good. Okay, well, anything else anybody wants to bring up? I mean, I know it's getting close to Christmas, so uh, I'm sure people are uh, – want to get on to other things other than listening to the podcast and central bank digital currency and Bitcoin and SDRs and reserve currency. I know there's a lot, a lot to cover, but uh, very, very important. To... Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate and it. I always enjoy it. Merry Christmas. Happy New Thanks. Year. Thanks. You guys holidays. too. Thanks guys. Mm-hmm.